A number of years ago, uh, matter of fact, it was last, last century. As a matter of fact, it was last millennium. I worked on a farm as a teenage kid, early teens. Uh, very large wheat farm in uh, northern Oklahoma. Uh, preacher's kid, okay? Always live in town. Always, I mean, I mowed the grass, but that's, you know, that was about the, the limit of my farming. So I go out and uh, they start telling me how to drive a tractor. Well, it's not rocket science. You can shift gears, tractors, um, some of them have a, used to have a hand clutch, a little different, but nothing, nothing beyond uh, what you might grasp if you pay attention. However, it is also important to the farmer that his field look good, a.k.a. have straight rows. How do you do that? Well, if we were plowing, we used turning plows, and he would go down and, and cut that first, we used what they called it then, four bottom plows. I have no idea what they're called now, but that meant four plows that turned the soil over. And he would set them about eight or ten inches deep. And then the next time you went down through there, you just put the front tire, of the, this right tire, uh, front tire in that ditch and just held it there. So it was not any problem to do the plowing. However... When it came time to do some cultivating, uh, there, was a, there was a thing that was called a spring tooth, and it had these steel fingers like this that dug, you could set them to go as, as deeply into the plowed soil as you wanted to break up the clods and so forth. And after that, if we were getting ready for uh, a crop like alfalfa or something like that, we would go over it with a deal <clears throat> that's called a harrow, and it just had some more teeth, only they made things a little finer. So you get, you get on the, you know, there's not a, there's not a rut you can stick your tire in. So you got to go straight across this field. How do you do that? Well, I, they told me this, pick where you want to come out exactly, whether it's that fence post or whatever it is over there. And you just stare straight at that and steer straight for that. And uh, it actually turned out pretty good. Surprise! You know, I I didn't have any self confidence as a farmer, and um, it was like, oh my goodness, that's about half straight. Now there is another picture that I want you to see on the screen. What's right the matter? A little tense about the flight? Something like that. There's really nothing to worry about, Mary. Statistically, they say you're more likely to get killed on the way to the airport. Uh, you know, like uh, in a head-on crash or flying off a cliff or getting trapped under a gas truck. That's the worst. I have this cousin. Oh. Lloyd, could you keep your eyes on the road, please? Oh, good thinking. Can't be too careful. A lot of bad drivers out there. <laughs> um... Yes, I think we might either have done that or have ridden with someone doing that. Uh, my line, when I'm by myself driving my car, and you're not driving the way I want you to, I assume you're doing something besides driving. And that doesn't mean you'd have to be on your phone. It doesn't even mean that you're talking, much less texting. Uh, 
it just your mind is elsewhere in my line to myself and I will say it aloud if there's no one else in the car drive drive and uh, I hope I don't screw my face up when I do that because I wouldn't want them to see me when they're doing that see me looking like that because somehow I may want to tell them about Jesus later and that might not be a good intro for him but um, we cannot properly go forward while looking backwards that's just the way it is and if you keep your eye on what you have left behind you will never stay on track for what God plans for your life Galatians 4 8 and following says formerly when you did not know God you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods but now that you know God or rather are known by God how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again that at one point in our lives all of us were slaves to sin we found relationship with God through his son Jesus we decided to follow him and uh, we left all that behind However, I've been around long enough that, that I have watched and a few people through the years for some reason turn back to the life they left behind. It is so bizarre. And here is an important principle. You can't follow Jesus while looking at the past. You can't follow Jesus while looking at the past. We need to be and do what he has designed us to be and do. And that is a lifelong follower of him. And to do that, we must leave the past behind. This morning, we're going to look at um, one of the most famous sets of backlookers. Is that, an, is that a word? It is now. And uh, we want to avoid making the same mistakes. Now, I have an agenda, and you knew that. My agenda is that I want you to be a lifelong follower of Jesus. I want you to be the fulfillment of that scripture in Philippians, the first chapter, that says the one that has begun the good work in you will carry it on to completion in Jesus Christ that's one of the most comforting and important verses in the Bible to my heart you some of you know that my story is I went through 177 years it seemed like of neurotic guilt of course I was guilty of sin everyone has sinned but most of the stuff that I felt guilty for was not even sin and my guilt that I felt even for the sins I committed was not appropriate there is sick guilt and it just beats you down so I don't want you there but I do want you to understand that God has started the work and is quite capable quite capable of finishing it as a matter of fact, he has an agenda, and it is to get you safely into the heavenly kingdom. Now, the story we're going to look at has been uh, 
the subject in movies, uh, classical movies of Hollywood as well as Disney animated versions. It's an epic story. The nation of Israel was captive in the land of Egypt. They were slaves. They were forced to do manual labor. They, were, they served the wishes of their cruel captors. This was a miserable existence of long days in that heat and dryness in, in uh, northern Egypt. It was forced labor. There was no freedom to worship their God. There was no hope for their future. Captivity was all they knew. Every day was the same. Wake up, hard labor, crummy meal, go to bed. You like that life? <clears throat> Get up, do it all over again. It was a horrible existence for God's chosen people. Now, and this wasn't just a few weeks or months or even years. Generations of Israelites were born and died in captivity. It looked like it was their forever fate. They were doomed to be slaves. They were held captive by Egypt for probably 350 years. The Israelites were in Egypt altogether 430 years. And when uh, Joseph was the big dog there, uh, everything went their, their way. And after he died, they, before too long, forgot what he had brought. So at least 350 years, they were captives. But God had a plan. He raised up a deliverer, a guy named Moses. And uh, the whole story and process is amazing. One of the most fun things to read through. You can read about it in uh, the, the early chapters of the book of Exodus. In chapter 3, beginning of the verse, verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, notice the words, misery, crying out, suffering, cry, oppressing. That's slavery. That's what slavery is. It was a brutal, oppressive, horrible, miserable life for the Israelites. They were slaves. From there, the epic story of God's deliverance begins. And if you don't know the Bible very well, you will remember some of the main points from the Prince of Egypt, which was pretty much right on. Moses went to Pharaoh on behalf of the Israelites requesting their release. Pharaoh refused. God sent plagues. He sent frogs, boils, hail, darkness, flies, locusts, gnats, water turned to blood. None of that changed Pharaoh's minds. Finally, when the firstborn child in every Egyptian family was killed, then Pharaoh suddenly got smart. During the night, Exodus 12, 31 says, 
Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. In other words, they took off quickly. They had to get out of here. They didn't even have time for the bread to rise. And then reading uh, further in that passage, verse 35, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and uh, there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. They, they were able to get all of this uh, loot, if you will, from the Egyptians. The Egyptians owed them far more than they could pay for the labor they had given, but they did get... Uh, a good start, as it were, in uh, some wealth. Now, watch this. Here goes this bunch of Israelites. Out of town. Victory march. No doubt, God was on their side. Can you imagine the excitement after all of these years, hundreds of years of captivity, they were finally free, 600,000 men plus women and children. Biggest parade of all time. That's, that's a serious parade, folks. Not only were they free, they plundered the Egyptians, as I said. And what that means is they took the best stuff out of every household. They, they turned the tables on their captors. For years they'd been oppressed. Now they were gathering up this junk. And um, pardon me, it wasn't junk, but it was whatever. And they were on their way. They're free. They're free children of God. They're free to serve God, free to raise their children in their customs and traditions, free to worship, no longer slaves, headed for the promised land. Amazing sight. Uh, can you imagine the combined uh, population of the greater metro area of Kansas City? It was almost that large with these, all these 600,000 men plus the women and children. I mean, this, this is a bunch of folks, guys. And uh, what a victory parade. No doubt God was on their side. God was mighty. Captivity and slavery was in the past. Promised land is in the future. God is strong and mighty. And it seems to me <coughs> that we can say, if there ever were a people committed to following and serving God and trusting his direction, this had to be the bunch, right? Well, let's read some more. Uh, in Exodus 13, uh, we don't read it a lot, but it's pretty clear. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the um, Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the des by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Now, God is looking at something that seems unreasonable if you didn't know the rest of the story. These people should 
be the ones that God could trust to just trust him. They'd seen the plagues. They had seen God uh, protect them, the incredible power of God. For instance, the, the plague of darkness, remember that? There was, there was a palpable darkness all across Egypt, except in the homes of the Israelites, where, when they lit a candle, it lit the room. Had light in their houses, pitch black, all over the nation, except in their houses. Uh, pretty amazing. We, we should see this bunch just uh, looking for the next for the next challenge because God never fails and he gets stronger and larger and more powerful and more dramatic as time goes on. I mean, you might think that. Now, the story continues. It didn't take Pharaoh long to decide he had uh, blown it when he let the people go. I think he realized, hey, we let our slaves go. We'll have to work. So he sent all of his horses, chariots, horsemen, troops, and led them. <coughs> and here's what happens. And we read in Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. So we go from the victory parade to Moses, how could you? What have you done to us? <coughs> Bring us out here to die. Don't you remember? We told you when we were slaves that it was just fine that way. It's better than this. Now, I want to stick my finger in this story and, and hold my place here and pause just a moment to say, um, first of all, I look back when I face opposition or trouble, okay? I look back when I face opposition or trouble. And while I've got my finger in the place here, let me say, God never promised the Israelites there wouldn't be trouble. He never promised that enemies would simply disappear, in fact, he listed them for them. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites. Opposition was expected. Jesus said it like this. John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Next chapter of John, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Now, that's verse 2 of John 16. Late in that chapter, it says, A time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. <clears throat> now, this was the night Jesus was betrayed. This was the night uh, before he died. And knowing that, you would think that Jesus would have this bunch uh, lined up and have a pep rally 
and get them so strong and have them just jumping up and down. What was he thinking? Instead of saying, go out and destroy them, get them. He was saying, you're in trouble. You're in for the biggest fight of your lives. Um, their assignment was to carry the gospel of Jesus to all nations. And Jesus knew that Satan would fight against that assignment with everything he had. He wanted them to expect opposition so they wouldn't be surprised when it came. Now that's kind of opposite to what we do and we probably need to make some adjustments. We, the church, have been guilty of promising people perhaps something Jesus never promised. We like to sell a worry-free life, trouble-free existence. Everything in your life will be better if you just say this prayer and accept Jesus. Now, I try not to do that here. As a matter of fact, I think it was a week ago I said it will cost you actually everything. So we try to avoid that, but it's really hard not to do that because that's just kind of the way it is. You know, we want you to be sold on this. We want you to know that God loves you so much and he did give his one and only son for you. And all of that is true. But if you come to Jesus, you're still going to be in this earth probably unless you just receive the Lord and have a cardiac arrest. And then in a couple, three days, we have your funeral service. That probably won't happen. Rarely does. Um, and we present Jesus as a, as a better picture of life improvement in this world. And that's not what this is about. Is life better with Jesus? Of course. Absolutely so. But is life with Jesus worry and trouble free? No. Absolutely no. Does following Jesus guarantee you'll never face an enemy, never have a problem, never have a struggle? No. There are people sitting among us this morning that have recently lost their jobs. How could that happen? I'm a Christian. <laughs> they forgot to tell you that when you signed up, didn't they? And, and the Lord wants to bless you and help you with your material stuff. And in, in a few weeks, we will we will embark on a series about money and money management. And I think we can strengthen your hand and encourage you and take away some of the stress about money because the word of God is full of wonderful instruction that absolutely works in the day-to-day -day troubles as well as blessings that come to us in this life. However, that doesn't mean you can't lose your job. It was so funny. Ha, ha, ha. When the Lord spoke to me, Uh, several years ago now, about moving our church property from over in the Raytown area out to this part of town. And it was a very clear word, and I, uh, yes, I do hear voices. They're not voice voices, but it was in this impression that that was God. Uh, that happens to me about once a decade, so don't get too worried about me. I'm probably going to be okay. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, it was five years, well, it was three years before the Lord pulled the trigger on the timing. And when, when he did that and we started moving to move out here, I think it was five of our seven deacons lost their job. 
That was scary. And, and these are people of faith. And of course it hurts when you lose your job. Uh, one of them was, was pretty high in a national uh, corporation that had just been going down and going down. And it just went and uh, he was out of work. And he'd, he'd been like on the, the third tier from the top of management. Uh, you know, you say, glory to God, come work for Jesus. And when your faith grows, you'll lose your job. <laughs> now, you, you can see me not doing that, okay? <laughs> because I don't know that you're going to lose your job. But that's what happened to those guys. And... It, it, was, it was hard. It was hard on them, and, and those of us who loved them had pain in our heart for them. But I'll tell you what, not one of them had to go into bankruptcy. Not one of them lost that war, though it feels like you've lost the fight when you lose the job. Yes? So this is, this is about a war, and I'll get to a little bit more of that in a minute. But here we are. Jesus says, Come to me, and people will hate you because of me. You'll be persecuted because of me. You're, you're, you're going to pay a high cost to follow me. It's a fight. It's a war. As a matter of fact, late in John chapter 16, he says, In this world you will have trouble. That's the kind of promise we preach about all the time. Glory to God. Watch for trouble this week. It's coming. It's going to be great. <laughs> no. We uh, <laughs> say it a different way, actually. The rest of what Jesus says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So I'm going to have trouble in this world, but he's defeated it. Well, I hate trouble. I love trouble just as much as you. I am a champion wimp. Sign me up for the wimp list. Only you're signed up anyway. You know, you don't have a choice. And so it's like, but God is with us. And you read the story of these people of Israel. And um, it's, it's amazing now, I can, I can hear you say to me right after you say that, uh, why follow Jesus if it's, if it's going to be all that much trouble? Well, the key is in this verse that we just read. It's in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. Why? Sin and Satan are active in this world. In this world you will have trouble, but remember we're not living for this world. This is not all there is. This is just a little short span until we move into real life. Real life, eternal life is in the next world. It's not in this world. Jesus has promised us a next world that will be trouble-free. Don't look back. Keep looking forward to what he has promised. Now let's go back and uh, look at what the Egyptians said to Moses. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and die in the desert. Actually, they never said that. That's not in the record. 
They never said, leave us alone. We don't want to go. We're just fine with the slave thing. We can stay this way forever. The conversation never happened. They hated captivity. They all wanted to be free. But now when trouble comes, they seem to forget that pain. The second reason people who are moving forward and look back is when trouble comes, I forget how miserable I was when I was captive to sin. I forget how miserable I was as captive to sin. Now, things go wrong. You encounter financial difficulty. You may get lonely. People don't treat you right. You have trouble at work, and you say, why serve Jesus if there's going to be so much trouble? I was better off in my own life. It was easier than this. Really? Your life of addiction was better? Losing your job, destroying your marriage, destroying your family, that was better? Living without Jesus, living without his peace, living outside his plan as a slave to sin? You see, you're not free. You, we think, oh, I was free. No, you were slave to sin. You had no choice but to be a jerk. It was in the genes. I watch people who do not believe that you can take charge of your life and have some control. And, for instance, in the political arena, when someone is being, uh, in, being sort of grilled uh, for, if, see if they fit this particular post to which someone would like to appoint them in the federal government, and it has come down to this, and I've watched it in recent years, and it just blows me away. If they, they believe... If you don't feel a certain way, then you just, you won't do it. You can't do it. And I guess that's the way they live their life. I remember when John Ashcroft, with whom I'm personally acquainted, and uh, happened to know his background, happened to know his lifestyle, happened to know that he was a man of integrity. He's the guy that was elected governor of Missouri the same time we uh, proved uh, the gambling of uh, boats and moats. And so I was really proud of him. My friend is now the governor. But in the back of my mind, I'm saying, I wonder what he's going to do about this because I know what he believes. And uh, he's not a fan of, nor uh, does he approve of, gambling. And so I waited and waited a little while. After all of the wheels turned and all of the stuff got set in place that had to be uh, put in place by the legislature, this stuff was approved, and I knew that he disapproved, and we got them, just like the people of Missouri had said, do. If you can't do the job, don't take it. He could do that, not that it was what he wanted, but it was what the people wanted. A free society has that option. And so when they were grilling him about this business of being... Uh, Attorney General, he was so eminently qualified for that job. Such a man of integrity. But the people who were against him could not believe that he could enforce the laws that assured abortion on demand was available when he was pro-life. He just got... <laughs> and that's not nearly how I really feel. 
But I saw that and I could see the, I could see the people whose stories I knew. I could see them on TV. And there were a bunch of crooks, some of them. Just drive me nuts. And they were grilling a guy that had integrity that they, they would not grasp unless they come to Jesus. They would have no clue that persons can live like that. And he was approved and, let, and served a little while. They finally got rid of him. But um, he would have kept the law just like he did in Missouri, in Washington, D.C. He would have done it if it had come to that. Now, see, people don't, people don't believe that can happen. Let me tell you that there is a power of God that comes in and we can be changed. And when you look back at your old life and all of that stuff, and I just don't think you could do that. If you don't feel like it, you can't do it. Who's the boss? Well, that's the question. If self and sin are running your show, you won't do the right thing if there's any pressure to do anything else. If there is something else alive in you, like God Almighty, that has the capability of changing this, there, it's entirely possible you will do the right thing. You may have a thousand moments of doubt, fear, not wanting to do it, but you will do the right thing. Now, in our human nature, when the pressure gets on us, here is what we say. Oh, I had so much fun with him. Or, I had so many friends. Pardon me, girls. I'm sorry. I just slipped out. Uh, those were good times. Those people really loved me. We're talking about cheers now. Now, if that's the case, why did you ever leave that stuff to follow Jesus? You're weirder than we thought. Uh, Why'd you ever come to church? Why'd you raise your hand? Why'd you stand and come to an altar prayer? Why were tears rolling down your face when you made that decision? Why did you leave the old friends behind? Why did you quit drinking? Why did you have that rela uh, leave that relationship? Why did you decide that you needed to change your life? Because there was no peace. There was emptiness everywhere. You remember that conviction. I'm wrong. I'm lost. I've got to get help. That was real and it should be real today. Don't be like the Israelites and forget the slavery you were in. Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't look back. Keep looking forward. Now, in this, <clears throat> expect problems. Expect trouble. Expect enemies. Expect problems, trouble, enemies. If you know trouble is coming, then it won't be such a shock and throw you off course. When it comes, and it will, have a different attitude about it. There's some more of this world trouble that Jesus told me about. That doesn't surprise me. I expected that. Not going to change my focus. I'm going to keep my eye on that end of the field and I'm going to go straight there and if I ever stop and look back I'll be able to see a straight line and I can continue it by focusing the ultimate goal is to see Jesus 
and live with him in heaven. Heaven is what we're about, folks. And not all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. And there is a judgment. And those who come in through Jesus Christ, those roads lead to heaven. Other roads lead you elsewhere. Maybe you've been questioning God because you're facing challenges or trouble. I, I want to read to you a letter that came out this week. Uh, there's an, a Persian, an Iranian minister in the Assemblies of God. He's a, he's a U.S. citizen, but he'd gone back to Iran to visit family. And uh, he's, as I said, a U.S. pastor. And they were able to smuggle this letter out. And I want to read this to you. When I heard that empty Christmas settings were placed during Christmas as a reminder of my imprisonment and those imprisoned for Christ, tears of joy filled my eyes. I was able to share about this with other prisoners, and they were shocked by the love and support we have for each other in Jesus. This guy is in an Iranian prison now, understand. I told them how the, in the Bible we are all considered brothers and sisters despite race, color, or nationality, and we are to share in each other's pains. This comes from our Lord. The Word of God says that when we are persecuted for our faith, we are to count it all joy. When I think that all of these trials and persecutions are being recorded in heaven for me, my heart is filled with complete joy. Now, some of us would say he's been in there too long. He's losing it. But let's stay with him. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Without the joy of the Lord, we cannot live. It is this joy in our life that gives us the strength to continue in this life. Without strength, we cannot continue the work of the Lord. And without joy, there's no strength. Then he says, and I love this, I always wanted God to make me a godly man. I did not realize that in order to become a godly man, we need to become like steel under pressure. It is a hard process of warm and cold to make steel. The process in my life today is one that I was told I will be freed on bail to see my family and kids on Christmas. They're all lies. And the next day I'm told I will hang for my faith in Jesus. One day there, there are intense pains after beatings in, in interrogations, and the next day they are nice to you and offer you candy. These hot and colds only make a man of steel for moving forward in expanding his kingdom. When for 120 days you are asleep in a room with one big light that is constantly lit and does not separate day or night, and when you can only see true sunlight for a few minutes a week, that's when you are becoming his workmanship, and you can be a vessel in bringing his kingdom in a dark place, and you're able to share the gospel of peace and life to the dying world. And this is where you learn you can love your enemies with all your heart. I'm looking forward to the day to see all of you who are behind me with your prayers and to embrace you in my arms. Thank you for the love you have showed me. What is in us is stronger than what is in the world, and it has conquered the world. Pastor Saeed Abedini in chains 
for our Lord Jesus Christ. May we pray. Father, we need you. There are people who are wrestling with stuff that feels as binding and confining as perhaps Pastor Saeed is experiencing physically. And they need to come to you and, and get the liberty on the inside that makes it impossible for anyone to ever imprison us. May those persons this morning come to meet you, live in you, and walk with you before they leave this room. Lord, the rest of us have trouble on varying levels. Some of it's illness, some of it's a broken heart over a broken relationship, some of it's financial difficulties, some of it's a heart that is heavy because of people not walking with you whom they love dearly and fear for their future and many other things and we, we get burdened down and we're tempted to look back. But if they are like I am, there's really nothing to go back to. The same troubles come to unbelievers and there's no hope of Jesus Christ for eternity. There's no light of the Holy Spirit. There is no comfort from our God. And I ask your blessing today upon those because it seems to me to be really unreasonable to, to look back and long for that, but there are some hearts here that are struggling this morning and it doesn't seem nearly as unreasonable to them to look back because they're not experiencing the freedom that they need. Lord, I ask you to set us up that in the next few moments we can get free in you in a way that we've never had. Those who need it, oh Lord, that this moment, this time of prayer will be the time when they take a step forward and are never the same again. Perhaps you want to reveal in their hearts as you did in mine that the one who started the good work in them will carry it on to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, in every way that we may be full of light. Full of light. Lord, darkness is rising. It's, it's really weird. Our culture's doing stuff that I never thought I'd see, and it's, it's so absurd to me. And it seems so obvious to people who do not know you that this is what we ought to do. This is the answer. Lord, I, I think I know better than they, but I'm not going to get under the load of that. I, want, I would like to tell them that you love them and that they've never, ever had an answer like you are. 
And I ask for that help too, Lord, because some of us are in the bondage that we just won't allow ourselves. We just can't speak up and love somebody with your love that needs you so desperately. So help us today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, I want you to look up here at me. It was um, this past week that I had uh, scheduled it. I worked through the noon hour and about one o'clock I needed to grab a bite because thank God I wasn't fasting. So anyway, I, I went to a restaurant where Eunice and I have eaten and uh, ever since we moved out from uh, farther west in the metro area we've eaten at this restaurant and it's owned by a family and they I've never met the husband they've got two or three stores in town and and this uh, but the gal is so friendly and she'll just come and sit down at our table and if Eunice and I have stuff we want to talk over well you know it's like well here she comes <laughs> just sweet as can be just the neatest neatest lady well when I walked in she asked me where my wife was, if I were by myself. And when she seated me, she sat down before the server got there. Now, when I go in there, I always order the same thing. So this guy came by and he says, I said, yep. And so that was the way I ordered. And uh, she sat there the whole time before the server came. And uh, there, was some, there was some social things. She's from a, a certain social background that, that I had some questions about. And so I started asking her these things. And she was telling me this, that, and the other thing. And it just, just happened to lead around to where I gave my testimony. As a matter of fact, she said something about agnostics and atheists. And I said, and that's part of my story. So I jumped in there and we just shared back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now, I didn't lead her to the Lord because she's got some questions that the Lord is going to have to answer in her heart. But after all these years, it was just, boom, the doors were open. And I mean, you'd have to be really stubborn not to walk through those doors because I didn't push anything. And it was, it was so cool because she sat there and she finally said, well, I guess I need to go so you can go. <laughs> Actually, yes. Uh, but the Lord did that as a little sign to my heart because I get this complex just like you. I can't do that. Eunice can, but I can't do that. And I know better than that. I teach you better than that, but I'd get the feeling. Well, when the Lord sets it up, you can do it, okay? Just be ready. And I told you that story so that you can say, Oh God, I want to be on that job. I want to be on the job of just putting the seed of the love of God out there. Just laying it out there. God loves you. You see, part of my, part of my testimony is the healing of a little gal, an older lady, who, who had an arthritic shoulder and couldn't raise her arm up. 
And while I was praying for her during this faith crisis, she stuck her arm right straight up in the air. And you'd get to tell people that. And she, she didn't think that was a very big miracle. <laughs> I thought, I was like, you got to keep your defenses up, baby. You just keep them up there because you're going to need them because the Lord is after you because I'm praying for you. Eunice is praying for you. And no doubt other people are praying. Now, I want to say this. Part of the reason that she was open to me is that I'm very careful about how I treat her servers because she worries about them. I treat them respectfully and I give them the accepted tip plus a dollar. And I have this to say, this is off the subject, but I just want to say, if you can't afford to do that, eat out less. Because these people are, are the few, few that we meet on a conversational basis in the course of our week. I don't interact with unbelievers that much. So love people and do it with your money as well as with your respect. Now, that was good. And uh, I hope you put enough in the offering to cover that because that was extra. <laughs> God loves us so much and he wants us to be so free. And I would like to... I would like to have a prayer with all of you before we go. Would you stand with me, please? I know this is not very emotional. I haven't wound you up very tightly. But would you just come down here, and I want to pray with you before you go. Just come right down, and when you come, just step up close to the steps. Just come right on. That's it. If you're in front of the crowd, they're coming. Keep coming. Hallelujah. Church, we have the love of God, and our job is to love God and love others. We are focused on growing, connecting with each other, and going. It's just, it's, it's all mixed in together. It's really hard to separate out one of them because they just all fit together, and they, they are interdependent they support each other and depend upon each other um, and this year may be the year Jesus comes or it may be the year before Jesus comes I we don't set dates here 
So I can, since we don't do that, I can say I think he's going to come at least by the end of 14. Now, we don't set dates here, okay? <laughs> Did you get it? And I'll have to disclaim that later. But I don't think we've got a lot of time. And these people that serve you in, in places of business and in, in other, other areas of your life, these people have to have Jesus or according to Jesus, they don't go to the Father in the right standing. Cannot come to the Father without me. Boy, he's narrow-minded, huh? Well, what do we do about that? Get them to Jesus. Don't pick at him. Pick at them. They're lost. They need him. And I just want us to be so encouraged and so excited because as time gets shorter, the power is going to get greater. As a matter of fact, that little deal this last week was just kind of a sign to me. Yeah, it's turn, being turned up. Yep. Yep. You keep saying that. One of these days is going to be true. <laughs> it's already true. Keep your eye on it. Now, I want us to do this. I want us to pray for each other. I know you pray for you. If you don't pray for you, goodness sakes, pray better for you than anyone on the face of the earth. Well, that's so selfish. Honey, you need it. Pray, bless, pray blessing on yourself so you can bless others. Bless them, bless him, and then he can bless them. You never thought of that? Well, think about it. It'll make more and more sense the more you think about it. I know you pray for yourself. But I'd like for us to pray for each other. This afternoon you can pray for yourself. And I want you to do that. Pray well for yourself. You know, my line is, I pray for you like I pray for me, which means it's a good job. I pray for me. This is, this is not, I've got to have it. I've got to have the blessing. It's got to be there. So, I pray that for you also. And I want us to pray for each other. Just pray for the persons on each side of you. And let's ask God for miracles in the next few days in their lives that will be a sign to them something that was like my experience was actually last Monday. That it will be a sign to them. So that the next time you stand between these two people, it will be like... You'll just be getting that anointing from both sides because they'll just be so thrilled in the Lord that they'll just be... It'll just be pouring over. Does that make sense? Let's do it. You up for that? Boy, you're under control. I love it. <laughs> Let's pray. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Lord, these are yours.